Okay, as you might have guessed, I'm not in shape. I'm not. I'm not in shape. I'm at an age where, A, you don't even really know your age. You go, I, I'm kind of in my mid to late 30s. What am I, 36, 37, 38? In all honesty, this is the point of life where you start to forget your exact age. You kind of just know the range you're in. And this is also the point of life where you know that you'll just never be in great shape. You might just want to attempt to be in decent shape or not doughy. I guess those are the only categories for me right now, doughy or not doughy. And I'm able to fool myself after one workout. After one workout, I immediately feel chiseled. I feel like an Olympic sprinter. I feel good. Even though I'm not in shape, if you only work out once a week, you're doing nothing for yourself. I'm guessing it's not really helping. But that one day can kind of trigger your mind to think you're really getting after it. You're really making some great changes. So knowing I'm not in great shape right now, I basically feel like my ceiling is a 20-minute run. There it is, 20-minute run while listening to 90s rap. I don't have a gym membership right now, so I just leave my house and I start running. And whenever I'm done running, that's when the workout ends. I don't continue it at the house. I don't just immediately hit some planks, then do some counter dips. Push-ups, sit-ups, extend the workout, go to YouTube, type in living room yoga. I don't do any of that. When the run is over, it's over. Hit the shower and eat too much. That's what fitness is. So just knowing that, just knowing what my limit is right now, and obviously it's a mental limit. I think I could do more, but right now I've just kind of limited myself. This is the old New Year's resolutions are fizzling, and it's still January conversation. But I'm watching... NBA players simply warm up. And I know I'm not trying to compare myself to professional athletes, but in a sense, I just have to talk about what kind of shape NBA players are in. So earlier this week, DeMarcus Cousins, Boogie Cousins, the new Warriors center, is returning to the team. Back in action. Hasn't played yet. So there's a lot of hype surrounding the game. And it was a big game against the Clippers in LA on a Friday night. Seemed like three channels were covering it, NBA TV, ESPN, locally, CSN Bay Area. So there's all these pregame shows, and I put the TV on at about 5.30. The game starts at 7.30. I put the TV on at 5.30, and there's already players warming up, you know, just shooting around, stretching. It's okay. And you see Curry, he's doing his ball dribbling skills, his agility, little fitness. Okay, you know, they're just shooting around. That's 5.30 p.m. Probably taped up having conversations with coaches, you know, shooting the shit, having a good time, the good life of an NBA player. And then I'm still watching the pregame stuff a little later. It's about 6.30, and there's guys still on the court behind the commentator, the announcer, the analysts, and they're back there. And then we're getting closer to tip-off, so it's real warm-ups time where they all come out together in layup lines, and they're leaping, and they're dunking, and they're putting on a show. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how many calories have they already burnt? Like, this is the workout. They're about to play an NBA game, these guys, yet they're in such good shape, they can really exert a ton of energy before the game. And then, taking it a step further, this is what's weird, I watch player introductions, and I know it's hyped with a lot of music, and the PA announcer screaming, on your feet, and are you ready, and just guiding people toward a frenzy. But when you're watching it, you realize, these guys now have almost choreographed dances. When they come down the aisle of high fives and they get into the scrum, 
in the huddle. They're bouncing, jumping up and down, and one or two guys goes in the middle for a little solo dancing. It's like a flash mob all of a sudden. And I'm like, wow, they're still burning calories. Like, that's a lot of activity. And then the lights come back on, and it's time for tip-off. And I watch Curry, and he does like a sprint, a half-court sprint, and then he starts lifting his knees up. He starts hopping and lifting his knees up. And I go, that's it. That's all I could do. If you told me, you're not playing in an NBA game, but could you hang from 5.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m.? If you tried to go warm up with the team, shoot around, which is exerting some energy, you know, go through layup lines and the intros with the dance party and then do one sprint with Curry. You're not playing in the game. Could I? The answer is, of course not. Couldn't even do that. That's the type of shape these guys are in. And I know they're in their 20s, most of them. And I know this is what they do for a living. But still, I got a lot of respect for the workout before the game that these guys are doing. Not to mention dealing with media and fans, which should be the fun part. You know, autographs and interviews. But still, it's a hell of a night. An NBA game is a hell of a night. And then afterwards, you calm down, you wind down. What do you have, dinner at about 11 p.m.? What a life. Not just any dinner. Fine dining. Why wouldn't you? Actually, if they crave fast food, they're in such good shape, they could hit a filet of fish Doesn't matter. Yes, American cheese. Actually, two slices of American cheese on my filet of fish What's that? McRib is in season? Yeah, hit a McRib too. So when professional players don't eat well, I don't think it matters. I think it's just fine. Nothing could phase those bodies at that point. Then you tiptoe into age 36, 37, 38, whatever I am right now, and it gets a little doughy. And you start to go, could I do a 21-minute run? Huh? But I certainly could not even get through warm-ups with an NBA team. Clearly an opportunity I will never have. And I guess that means I can't get through warm-ups with any team. What an amazing life, professional athletics. Aside from being really good at your sport, just be in shape. Hit that gym hard. Just be active. Don't hurt yourself doing anything else but focusing on this exact sport. I remember in preseason watching the Chargers players between their two-a-days come back, and a lot of them had bags of Wendy's, bags of Burger King, bags of Taco Bell, bags of McDonald's, and you thought, wow, what are they doing? But the truth is, if from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep is all fitness, truly that's all it is, this line of work called professional football, then yeah. You could enjoy a double cheeseburger and it won't phase you. Now, if I enjoy a double cheeseburger, I think I hit a 10-minute depression, uh, 20 minutes of guilt. I uh, need to do a 10-minute meditation after that about dealing with your double cheeseburger reactions. And then I have to make like a resolution. No fast food for a year. Got a weird relationship with fast food. I drive by these restaurants throughout my life, and I go, no, 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 like it's a magnet. No, 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 don't suck me in. No, 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 no. I know the deal right now. I know it's 20 nuggets for a dollar, but please, please release your grasp. And then because I watch sports, it seems like every other commercial is a close-up of giant golden fries or melted cheese over patties, over patties. Mmm, pickle, lettuce, tomato, onion. These fast food advertisers are brilliant. I'm sucked in. Knowing I won't eat it, I still get something out of these ads. I still get that one moment of like, I can taste it. By the way, speaking of meat, they say, environmentalists say, 
eat less meat. Did you know that? You know what else environmentalists say? Drive an electric car. Take less flights. Take public transportation if you can. Release less toxic emissions into the sky. Did you know this? Environmentalists are saying this. Most of us know this. I think most of us know these things. You can read an article about climate change or global warming. And I wonder, does it really influence anybody's habits? Maybe a select few. Maybe a small percentage of people are truly so worried about climate change that they're going to change their habits. But I'm on the side of we've already fucked it all up. That's what Neil deGrasse Tyson said, the great astrophysicist. He's like, I'm worried it's a little too late. You know, this focus on the environment, Earth Day. Earth Day is modern. It started in the 70s. You know, conserve water, care about the environment, don't litter, don't pollute. All of that is modern thinking. Nobody was saying that during the Industrial Revolution. Hey, don't litter. Hey, don't litter. And turn off the tap while you brush your teeth and shorten your showers. Now, everything we're doing right now, or what we seem to be doing right now, it's a response to already screwing everything up. We already screwed everything up. Power plants, oil refineries, coal mines, we fucked it all up. So now this emphasis on what can we do? What can we do to save the planet? Aren't some of us afraid that the answer is it's already messed up and there's no going back? So I do like that people try to change their habits and there's a focus politically on spending dollars towards fixing these changes and making improvements. And it has totally split the Republicans and the Democrats, global warming. But as Neil deGrasse Tyson said, he's like, there's no debate. This is science. It's proven. The oceans are rising. The ice from the poles are melting. Coastal cities will be in danger. And eventually that'll affect the agriculture, which means the way we feed ourselves. So if you listen to scientists, not politicians, not politicians, listen to scientists, climate change will destroy all of us eventually. It will. I'm not giving you a political opinion. We're just speaking in facts for a moment. And even even if this doesn't happen for what, thousands of years, it still seems inevitable. This thing called human life on earth it's temporary. I mean, it's a long form of temporary, but it's not eternal. It's not forever. People aren't going back. I read that article, What We Should Do to Save the Planet, and it really said, take public transportation, eat less meat, take less flights, you know, recycle. Okay. Okay. How many people are really going to collectively agree to these new rules and standards and save the earth? So I guess you could only... Try to impact your immediate world. A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people try to, you know, have these grandiose thoughts. We all need to come together as a human race and fix it. No, you can only really control your small sphere right in front of you. And I guess that has to be good enough. You have to get some satisfaction to know, even if my neighbors are not recycling and they're using Aquanet hairspray and throwing away styrofoam and littering in the ocean and taking flights and driving big trucks and putting toxic chemicals into the ozone, then I can only control what I do, and that has to be satisfying. One by one. One by one. I should just end every rant with one by one, one by one, and act like it's such a profound way to end a statement. These are just the talking points, right? Immigration, climate change, terrorism, 
It's the same bullet points, right? Isn't that kind of funny that politicians have to rely on the world being imperfect and kind of messed up? That they always have to just point for the reasons we need to improve things? You never hear a politician say, here's what's great, here's what's good, here's what we need to sustain, and here's why I'm happy. Every politician has to have a platform of, here's what I don't like and we need to fix. Here's what I don't like and we need to fix. And what are your talking points? Immigration, war on terror, climate change, education. Okay, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And what's wrong with that? And what's wrong with that? It's like we're always just going back and going back and trying to fix things that were initially built quite poorly. You got to think most world leaders, most government leaders, most politicians, after they step down, they have to look back and go, yeah, didn't really create that utopia. They didn't really do much. And sometimes a leader does a little bit here, a little bit there. But when you have this discussion, don't we always point back to the things that they did poorly? When we talk about most presidents, most prime ministers, most historical leaders, when discussing history, don't we take a look at, uh, yeah, what they did poorly? I almost feel like that's how it's taught. Now, you could teach successes here and there. There are some successes. Sure, there's military successes to look at. But I feel like we just rip these people apart. Especially any candidates currently and future candidates. We're just going to rip them apart. All right, let me get away from that. Actually, not quite yet. Who's going to play Trump in the movie? Answer that question. You know there's going to be a movie. The script is already being written right now. Who's going to play him? We had Woody Harrelson as LBJ. That's okay. We've had Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln. Boring. What else? Josh Brolin played George W. W. Brolin is awesome. That movie was pretty good. But you know it's coming. The big blockbuster. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight years from now, there's going to be a Trump movie. Who's playing him? And what's the focus? It will be very watchable, though. Can't you picture it? It's easy to picture it. Hollywood's going to do a big one. Maybe bigger than any president movie we've ever seen. Bigger than a JFK. Bigger than a Jefferson. Nick Nolte playing Jefferson in Paris. You got to get a big dog actor. Big dog. Christian Bale. I know he just played Cheney. Haven't seen Vice, but I heard it's great. Close your eyes right now. Who is it? Who's the actor that comes to mind to play Trump? Would have been Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Could have been, I should say. Could have been. But rest in peace. Who else? Close your eyes. Even if you're driving, close your eyes right now. Who's going to play him? And what's the movie going to be called? Just Trump? I know Lincoln was called Lincoln, but it can't just be called Trump. You call it like Orange Glow. Ooh, that's pretty good. This winter. A tale that you never thought possible. From the people that brought you Goonies. And fried green tomatoes. Alec Baldwin is Donald Trump. Actually, no. No, 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 no. I think Baldwin's actually helping to ruin SNL. The opens are always just so bad. It's not a good Trump impression. It's not good. We're done with it. Find a cast member. Let Beck Bennett do it. Let Kyle Mooney do it. Let anybody do it. Can't have Baldwin doing it. All right, so I'm eliminating Baldwin. I'm not moving on until I find it in my mind right now. The actor that's going to play Donald. The Donald. Gene Hackman, he'll probably be too old. He'll need a hairpiece. Warren Beatty, too old. Got to go younger, folks. 
Christian Bale again, just because he's so good? No. Johnny Depp? Can't do it. No. DiCaprio? Eh. DiCaprio is Trump? No. Can't do it. Tom Hanks? Probably. Yep, there it is. Tom Hanks. You'll never disagree with Tom Hanks playing anything, so I'll just say that and move on. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Or maybe it'll just go straight to Netflix. Maybe it won't be a theater blockbuster. Netflix just churns it out. You could have a Trump movie by 7 p.m. What the fuck is happening? How's Netflix doing this? Don't you need like auditions and production and writers? Seems like Netflix just snaps their fingers and there's original programming. Here's 12 new episodes of a show. Oh, the season's over? Mm, 12 more. What? It's a little much. It's a little much. I'm done. Netflix has to stop it. They just have to stop. Hit the e-brake for about six months. Let us all catch up. Let us all catch up. You're giving us a panic attack as we browse through. New releases. Recently added. What's trending now? Recommended for you, Josh. For you, Josh. For you, Josh. And I read an article that everybody's having their own Netflix, Netflix experience because it is all being catered to our previous clicks. How we tap around the remote control. They're following what we like. Oh, you like stand-up comedy? Here's a lot of that. Oh, you like documentaries about sports? Here's a lot of that. Hmm, you watched The Office. Maybe you like this, this, and this, and this. So somebody that has totally different tastes than I do, or my wife, their Netflix experience is going to be tailor-made for them. They're creating that type of programming, that massive amount of programming where everybody could have their own individual experience. If you're like, yeah, I only like science and food shows, boom, here's a hundred. You know, I only like horror and musicals. Yeah, here's a thousand. Netflix, are you kidding? Enough. Stop. You know when you go to Netflix that you need to prepare at least an hour 30. Because you're going to need to watch one of these. And maybe we should watch this. And you know, I haven't seen this in a while. It's just something about the scroll. They've perfected the scroll and how the human mind works. And these movies are going to be Oscar-worthy movies. They're not just going to be Netflix originals. They're going to soon be, you know, the movies that are winning the Oscars. And for comedians, that's now the top. It's not an HBO special. It's not a Showtime special. It's not being on Fallon or Conan or Kimmel. It's Netflix. If you get on Netflix, you know, millions are going to watch you. Like Sebastian Maniscalco, his most recent special. It's actually his first Netflix special. Everything else he's done has been like Showtime, Maybe HBO, but for Sebastian to be on Netflix now, it helps to launch his career. Then he's on Howard Stern, and now he's a household name. So this is the platform for comics, even musicians. You know, Taylor Swift, they had a concert. I watched four minutes of it. I don't get it, but that's okay. I shouldn't get it. I shouldn't be like, I watched the Taylor Swift concert on Netflix, and oh, I was moved. I was deeply moved. Her lyrics hit me. Her lyrics truly don't hit me. But then she started to talk to the audience about how deep her lyrics are because she knows that her fans listen to the lyrics. And then they had some footage of the fans watching her and they were crying. It was like Elvis and the Beatles. Taylor Swift is at that level. And she has a Netflix concert out. And that means she's on top of the world. I feel like this is also obvious to discuss that Netflix has a lot of great programming and that it's the tip of the top. It's the elite form of entertainment in the world. I'm just fascinated on how fast they're churning it out. Holy shit. It's way too much. They're trying to flood us. You know, if I like sushi, I'm like, I like sushi once in a while. You know, a couple of times a month, I like sushi. 
If I like sushi, I don't say every restaurant in my neighborhood needs to be raw fish, Japanese sushi all over the place. I need it for breakfast. I do need it for lunch and for dinner. And I, I don't think there should be any other types of restaurants. Just sushi. That's Netflix. We're just going to shove it into your face and you're going to eat it all. And you don't need any other channels. Just us. Stream away. All right, here's the type of social media users that exist. I thought of this. Whether it's Facebook or Instagram, here's the types. Uh, number one, full throttle. Just, you know, take a picture of every meal. Take a picture of every interaction. You know, your whole life you're living it on social media. You know, before you get in your car in the morning, you take a picture of your car, you put it up and go, going to work, and you're looking for the likes, and you're looking for the comments. Okay, that's, you know, the people who use it almost as a supplement to life. You're just always on it. You're always on the app. You live that way. You communicate with people that way. You display your life that way, and it became normal to you. Now, one step below, I'd say people who post a few times a week. A few times a week. You know, these people, they're on it quite a bit. They bring the phone to the toilet. You know, those people. Then maybe one tier below. These are the people that post a few things a year. That's all. That's all. They're like, oh, I still have an account. I guess, you know, I'll keep people abreast of what's happening in my life. You know, just the big things like had a baby or new job or bought a new house or something like that. Or just got back from Thailand. A few pictures. Okay. You have those users. And then one step below, the people that never post, but they're on it a lot. They're on it a lot. And they never post a thing. These people. Maybe you. And maybe me. And maybe a person you live with. But these people are on it so much. And you'll never know it. They're scrolling through. Click like. Maybe the occasional comment, mmm, that looks tasty. But really, the people that don't post a lot, I wonder if these are quietly the true addicts. I don't know. There's different types of users. And then what does it say about your personality if you're truly not on any of these? We all know somebody like that. And I'm not talking about great-grandma. I'm just talking about someone in your age range who's not on it at all. They're not on Facebook. They're not on Twitter. They're not on Snapchat. They're not on Instagram. I truly wonder, what does it say about you? Do you fear it? Does it just sound so insignificant that you're like, why would I? Why would I? But I think it's almost more interesting to think about the people that abstain altogether. Why? What's your reason? Do you need a reason? Not really, but it shows that life before all of this was just fine. I think it's based in fear to not be on any of it. I'll admit it for myself. Why do I want to get off all of it one day? Because I fear that I'm losing too many minutes of my life. I feel that there is true brain chemistry that's wired for addiction. And it's proven. Who needs that much screen time? You know, there's a long list of things I always talk about. Why I'd love to get off all of it, but why I'm powerless. Oh, I'm powerless. I'm just sucked into the glow of the phone. However, if I did get off, it would seem like some sort of a protest. It would seem like, you know, I'm individually trying to send a message that I will not be a part of the machine, almost like these Luddites during the Industrial Revolution. These are the people that said, fuck your machines. I like the life without machines. We don't want factories. We don't want it. We like human-made goods, not machine-made goods. And these people would destroy machinery. The Luddites. They actually had such a negative response to industry and the rise of new marketplaces and urbanization 
and any tech advancements that these Luddites just wanted to destroy the machines and actively voice their opinions of how much they hated industry. There are modern day Luddites. And these are the people that are like, no, I'm not on Facebook. No, you can't find me on Snapchat. No, I don't need to see your little viral video. No, thanks. I'm off the grid. But they're only off the grid. They're only considered off the grid because this grid exists. 15 years ago, these were just normal people. But now if you're not on any of the platforms, you're off the grid. You're sending a statement. So I feel like a wannabe Luddite. I'm a wannabe. What kind of B are you? Wannabe Luddite. Are you still thinking about who plays Trump in the movie? Who? Will Ferrell can't do it. It doesn't have to be a comedy. It could have some comedy in it, but it doesn't have to be a comedy. Steve Martin will play Mike Pence. Okay, Steve Martin is a versatile actor. He can do Pence. Okay? Seems like Steve Martin is serious anyways, nowadays. It's like he completely detached from comedian Steve Martin. And now when you see him, whether it's just banjo or interviews, he's very serious. Very serious guy. Great book, though, if you want to read his story. Born Standing Up. But who's playing Trump? Tweet at me at jrosenberg957. Isn't that techie? Hey, tweet at me. And nobody will. The global warming rant was interesting, wasn't it? We're not going back in time, though. It's all connected. We're not going back in time. Social media, it's just going to take us in the wave. Toxic emissions will probably get worse, won't we? Just more humans, the way we eat, the way industry works. We're going to keep driving cars. We're going to keep power plants going. We're going to keep this whole electricity thing going. Will everybody have an electric car and be vegetarians and recycle? Will everybody get on board? Of course not. So it's a great political discussion to divide us all. But science pretty much has stated we're fucked. That's a scary thought, though. What if even before anything environmentally destroys us, we destroy ourselves? Isn't that more likely? Isn't that more likely? Let's get deep for a moment. Aren't we just going to destroy ourselves? Look at all the conflicts. Look at all the conflicts we've had and all the weapons we've built. We can't have another war. If we have a World War III, we'll just destroy full cities in a minute. There was a World War I, the weapons advanced. There was a World War II, the weaponry advanced. There's not going to be a World War III because then you'll just take out full countries, full civilizations. Goodbye. We'll just destroy ourselves. And we're not nice to each other. We're not. Some people even point to the positives of war, that it could create the sense of pride and nationalism and togetherness, and it unifies certain groups, the tribalism of it. And it might help the economy in certain ways. There's very little desire on a mass scale. There's very little desire for us all to hold hands together. Inequality. And it's MLK Day today. So maybe that's where I'll end. It's MLK, Martin Luther King Day, right now as I'm doing this podcast. And his vision, that we can all live harmoniously together, not viewing one race better than another, and to value this thing called equality. How sad. I wonder if Martin Luther King would be sad to see the world today, or if he would see some advancements and be an optimist and say, you know what, I planted some seeds that are growing. I truly wonder that. Would Martin Luther King be really disappointed if he was able to come back for one day in 2019? Or would he be very happy? I know he would see some progress. I know he would see some progress. But I actually don't know if racism is on the rise or if it has declined in the last 40 years. I don't know. Aziz Ansari said, well, the racists are certainly louder than they've ever been, but we also still have the closet racists who don't share their opinions on social media, so we'll never know. There's no exact poll. Is racism on the rise? Is equality on the rise? I don't know. 
So I guess that goes back to just control what's in your mini sphere. And if you're nice to people, you're nice to your neighbors, you're nice to people of all religions, nationalities, and cultures, and ethnicities, then you're doing your part. Congrats to you. All right, it's time to drink some Advil. Haven't had enough coffee, which means I have a headache. I've reached that level of coffee addiction where if I don't have enough, it's headache time. Notice how I said if I don't have enough. It's not if I didn't have coffee. See, if I didn't have any coffee, I've already had at least 12 ounces today. Of course, that's how I'm even doing this podcast. But now I need another 12 ounces. That's where the addiction is creeping into uh, unhealthy level. Unhealthy. And the headache, it starts behind the eyes, and then it spreads all through the skull. And then my hands start to shake. And now I have to crawl away from the microphone and say episode 45. It's in the book. Actually, not quite in the books. Episode 45. What do you think of the number 45? What do you think? 45. Yep. You think of Jordan's jersey when he came back from playing baseball, rejoined the Bulls. You saw that game against the Pacers. You remember the ovation for Michael Jordan, who burned a lot of calories before tip-off. So is Jordan, who was in very good shape. Played that first game back with the Bulls, wearing number 45. What an eyesore that was. We associate this man with a number. 23. Beautiful 23, but 45, such an ugly jersey. However, I am reading a book right now called Basketball, A Love Story, Jackie McMullen. Whoops. (laughs) I just dropped a lot of things. But uh, Basketball, A Love Story, all these first-person stories and descriptions of their memories, playing basketball, being fans of the game, really good. But when they talk about Jordan, early Jordan, early Jordan, his impact on the league, on the sport, there's never been before and never will be after somebody who impacted the sport that much. I'm not saying there will never be somebody as talented. You can make the case that LeBron's talent is up there with Jordan's. But his impact? No. What Jordan did to this game is undescribable. Or is it indescribable? We all witnessed it, but when you read this book, you read the part about Jordan, how his shoes, his marketing... His style, it went way beyond the Bulls. Didn't have to be a Bulls fan to be a Jordan fan. Think about how many people outside of Chicago had Bulls posters on their bedroom walls simply because of Jordan. They said when Nike was agreeing to do this shoe deal with him, they said, if we don't sell three million worth of Michael Jordan products going into this, you know, we'll give it a few years. But if we don't sell three million, we'll terminate the line. We're done with this guy. You know, he wasn't a super-duper star when they first gave him the shoe deal. And then the first year of Jordan's, they sold $130 million. So once again, the company, Nike, they had never done this. A shoe deal with one player, Mike Jordan, this North Carolina athlete. So they're like, if we don't do $3 million early on, we're going to terminate the deal. And this book says they sold $130 million in the first year. Holy shit. And it keeps soaring and soaring and soaring. The guy hasn't played a game in so many years. And those shoes continue to sell. I see all my high school kids wearing these Jordans. That brand. Oh, my God. So there it is. Episode 45. It's now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.